today, uh, what I'm going to do is before I show you the title of today's sermon, and before I give you my first three-minute opening, I want to do this. I want to tell you that 30 minutes from now, every single person in this room is going to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God has been speaking to you, that He is speaking to you, and that He will speak to you. If you've ever doubted whether or not you have heard the voice of God spirit to spirit, in 30 minutes from now, you are going to be able to say, man, you know what? I know for a fact that God has spoken to me spirit to spirit, and I know what it sounds like now. Isn't that exciting? That's, that's it's so exciting for me. I mean, it's so exciting. I'm so excited for y'all. I can't even take it. It's going to be so great. Okay, so part four, HGTC, the title is Holy Spirit Conscience. Holy Spirit Conscience. Let me just talk about this. Let me give you a good opening. Um, in the Bible, there was a time where God spoke to the Israelites through a cloud. Uh, there was another time where God spoke to Balaam through his donkey. There was another time where God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. If you're here today and you've been outside in your garden and you're like sitting there looking at your azalea bush for hours just waiting for it to catch on fire, you're going to be waiting a long time because that's rare. If you're sitting next to your golden retriever and every time he barks you think, God, is that you? Are you trying to say something to me? It's going to be very rare. But there is a way where you can hear from God every single day, all throughout the day, with everything that you do, and that is through our conscience. There are over 50 scriptures in the Bible where the word heart literally translates conscience. When people say, God's speaking to my heart, I felt this impression in my heart. Really what they're saying is in the original Greek and Hebrew, it's their conscience. Let me show you one. Romans 9.1, I belong to Christ and my conscience is ruled by the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, it's like the Spirit of God poured Red Bull into your conscience. And it energized it. It enlivened it. It, wakened, it waked it up. Um, it woke it up, sorry. It waked it up. Uh, <laughs> one of the ways that... That's my Sakasti translation. One of the ways that the Holy Spirit functions in your life, one of the many ways, is it functions through your conscience. It's like a bell that rings whenever you get close to something you shouldn't get to. It's an impression in your conscience that tells you to back away or to step forward or to take a step of faith, and it's ruling through your conscience. The word conscience, people describe it as this, the compass of our soul. It's the compass of our mind, will, and our emotions. And if you're willing to listen and heed the direction of this compass, it will guide you through life. It will prevent bad things from happening to you. It will lead you in certain directions you may not have gone in had you not listened to your Holy Spirit conscience. Let me tell you how we, 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 we make this stronger. This particular way that God communicates through us gets louder and clearer as we obey it. It decreases and gets quieter as we disobey it. So if you want your conscience and God to speak to you through your conscience louder and clearer, as soon as you hear the warnings, as soon as the bells go off, you obey it. If you want to become desensitized to the voice of the Holy Spirit, then go against your conscience time and time again, and you will weaken and lessen that particular voice. Psalm 16:7 says this, The Lord guides me, and my conscience or my heart warms, warns me. It's like a, a, a ringing of a bell. Hey, hey, don't go past that line. And what happens is, once we go past that loud bell, the bell gets quieter, and it gets quieter, 
And it gets quieter until we no longer even hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We can actually get to the point where we have tuned off the frequency of God speaking through your conscience. Listen, I know people. They've talked to me. And they said, at first, the first time I looked at pornography, the bell was ringing. Don't do it. Don't do it. Loud and clear. And they thought, oh, it's not going to be that bad this one time. And then the next time, the bell's ringing. Don't do it. And they go again. Don't do it. And then they get to a point in life they never thought they would be. They never thought they would be so addicted to something that it ruins their mind, it destroys their day, their relationships aren't right. And if you ask them, how did it start? They'd say, in the very beginning, I heard God speaking. I knew He told me not to do it, but I just kept going against it and going against it. I know people that um, they say things like this. I know I shouldn't tell you this, but... I know I probably shouldn't share this with you, but... I shouldn't say this about that person, but... And they get to the point where gossiping means nothing to them. They, it's just like they're saying anything when they gossip. Why? They went against their conscience and the alarm was ringing over and over and over again and they became desensitized to it. It says in 1 Timothy 4.2, these liars have lied for so long their consciences have lost all feeling. It's like that for whatever area of your life God's been dealing with you on. It's kind of like a, a dog collar. You know you get those collars on dogs and instead of getting a fence, you get like a wire underneath the grass. And so when they get to the property line, it shocks them, you know, like that. And then they think, oh, I don't want to do that. And so they back up. But here's what we do. It shocks us and we think, that wasn't so bad. I can get away with it. We get a little bit further. It shocks us. That wasn't so bad. I can do it again. And the more we do, it's like the battery's going dead in our shock collar. Um, I'll tell you a story about my friend Mark that'll make you not like him. Um, for the three of you in here that are left that still like him. Um, so Mark and Caitlin have four amazing dogs. And uh, two of them are actually bigger than me. They're giant dogs. One of them is named Leo. Leo is the most kind. Leo's Caitlin's dog. It's the most kindest, gentle giant. Leo, if you ever seen the Shaggy Dog movie back in the old days where the dad is, it, Leo's like a dad. It's like you just want to hug him and lay with him. He's a golden doodle, so he doesn't shed. He smells good. He just looks at you with the most kindest eyes. I mean, just the kindest dog in the world. Well, Mark bought these expensive shock collars to train his dogs. And there's one remote, and you can turn it on which dog you want to shock. Then after that, you can turn up the shock from 1 to 10. Well, Mark was training one of his bad dogs outside, and he was telling it to do something, and the dog didn't listen. So Mark put it on 1 and shocked him. And then the told the dog again. The dog didn't listen, so he put it on 2 and shocked him, and the dog stopped, and he obeyed. So Mark trained him, so he brought back the other bad dog. Put it on now. 1, 2 was enough, and that dog listened. Well, Mark was doing the third dog, but he had the thing turned on the other dog inside the knife and so Mark tells the dog something and the dog just looks at him like you can't tell me what to do so Mark turns it up to a three shocks him the dog says you ain't tell nothing Mark turns it up to a four tells him he doesn't do anything the dog's looking like I can't I can do whatever I want to do Mark turns it up to a five a ten a 75 and he gets all the way up and Mark's like what's wrong with this thing and he looks in the window and there's Caitlin's dog I'm not lying. I told Kaylin, I said, while he's asleep, you need to put the shock collar around him, give the dog the remote, and then jump back in bed like you're asleep, like you don't know what's going on. But I will say this, the dogs got him back. They ate his entire wallet and everything inside of it, all of his cards and everything. So Mark spends days getting new credit cards, getting a new wallet, and they ate it a second time. So Caitlin says, that's what you get. Anyway, here's the point. Don't let what you want override what God wants. 
That's the whole point of it. Don't let what you, because that's all we're saying. We're not arguing if God speaks to us or not. We know he's speaking to us. We're arguing, am I going to obey or not? It's, I, I know people, they will justify the most horrific decisions ever. They will justify, and you know it because it's like they're trying to talk themselves into it. They know it's wrong. They know they shouldn't do it. And they spend all this time logic and trying to just, and all they need to do is say, what is God telling you to do? Enough with all this thinking. What is God saying to you? And they'll go back, I know he's telling me I shouldn't do it, but get your butt out of the way. Sooner or later, you're not going to be able to hear from God clearly if you don't heed the warnings. Um, I'm sure you know the story of the Titanic. Uh, if you don't know the story, you should watch the movie. And um, spoiler alert, it, it, it sinks at the end of the movie. The Titanic sinks. But anyway, and so the Titanic was the most magnificent vessel of its day. The who's who from all over the world lined up to get on board that first voyage. And they set off and they're enjoying their trip. And then in the middle of the first voyage, the, the crew got these warning signals coming in. Hey, there's an iceberg ahead. Make necessary adjustments. Turn your course. Don't keep going the same direction. It's not looking good in front of you. Change, turn, do something else. And they did not listen. They all thought this. We're the Titanic. Nothing can sink us. I know Christians that think the same thing. I can do this and get away with it. I can disobey God and still fulfill my destiny. As long as nobody finds out, I'll be okay. And they continue to push that envelope. The warning's coming in. Make necessary adjustments. Don't keep, don't stay on that path. Change your path. What are you doing? And we think this, God, are you trying to stop me from enjoying my life? Why are you trying to stop me from being happy? I just want to be happy. Listen, God's trying to get you to a place where you'll ultimately be happy. You will never be happy going against your conscience ever, 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 ever. Don't try to justify it. Don't try to work it out in your mind. When you go against your conscience, you can't even sleep well at night. And so the warnings came in, and you know the story, they hit the iceberg. The ship's hull broke in two, and 1,500 people lost their lives, including my man Leo, whose stupid girlfriend would not let him share the piece of furniture. Rose was hanging there. Leo could have got on, but instead he died, and then stupid Rose dropped the diamond. She could have paid off the church and got his new Anyway, I'm not bitter about any of it at all. I'm not offended. Stupid Rose. Anyway, so here's the lesson we can learn from the Titanic. Heed the warnings while there's still time to turn around. Now, this is a word for some of y'all in here. Listen real close. You better turn around today. I'm telling some of y'all. You better turn around today. Heed the warnings. Hey, the alarm's coming in loud and clear. Watch out. Change your path. Some of y'all, it was destined that you were in this building today to hear this sermon. I promise you, I'm not trying to sound like a good preacher. I'm telling you the honest to God truth. If you don't turn around today, you're going to hit an iceberg. It's going to cause you a lot of pain in your life. God's not trying to prevent you from being happy. He's trying to prevent some excruciating pain that he doesn't want you to go through. 1 John 3.21 says this, If our consciences or our hearts do not accuse us, we can have confidence and boldness before God. Let me tell you what it's like. When your conscience is not clear, you don't worship like you should. I, I'm telling you, when your conscience is not clear, you don't lift your hands. You don't clap. You don't sing. There's a guilt. It's like there's a dark cloud following you. And you can put on a smile for people. And you can come to church and act like everything's okay. And nobody knows what's going on except for you and God. Nobody knows the struggle. 
Nobody knows the addiction. Nobody knows the wrong mindset. Nobody knows that when you go to bed at night, you're constantly thinking about that thing that's holding you back. And you're so afraid to give it up. Or what are you going to do if you bring it to light? How are people going to treat you? What are they going to say if they find out? Who, I would rather have my conscience on my side and a million people hate me than a million people on my side and go against my conscience and have to fake it all through life. It says that, 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 that when our hearts don't accuse us, we have confidence before God. When your conscience isn't clear, you don't serve the church wholeheartedly. It's like something. It's like you serve out of guilt. When your conscience isn't clear, you don't pray bold prayers. It's like you're ashamed to go to the, the, the throne of God. Today's a new day. You can leave here with a clear conscience. You can leave here with a clear conscience. When your conscience is clear, you just worship and you pray these bold prayers and you know God's going to heal and you know He's going to come through. When your conscience is clear... You believe for God's favor every minute. You wake up and you know today's going to be a great day. I may have enemies against me. People at work don't like me. But you know what? I know deep inside I'm doing what God's telling me to do. I would rather do what God says and be embarrassed for a little while than go against God the rest of my life and think that people put me on a pedestal or think I'm something great. Abraham Lincoln is quoted to say this. When my presidency is over, I may not have one friend left in this world but I will have my conscience. And that's how we should live our life, with a clear conscience. You don't have to live with that burden or that weight on you. You don't have to. Uh, I, I found a true story about this shoplifter. He wrote a department store, and he said, um, I just got saved in church, and I can't sleep at night because I feel guilty. So here's the $100 that I owe you. At the bottom there was a PS. It said, if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> 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 that's not the way to do it. You got to go all the way, okay? All the way. I think some of y'all, it might even, it would change your life. And I, I realize at first it may be hard. It would change your life if you go back to that first time you went against your conscience, that first place. And maybe in your prayer time, you even said, God, I remember where I was at. I remember the day. And I remember you screaming at me. I remember you just warning me, warning me, warning me. God, take me back to that place and bring healing in my life to that place. And then you step out of that past and you start moving forward. Or you might need to go to some people and say, listen, you know what? I've been doing you wrong for a while or I've been stealing or whatever the case is. And you tell them, listen, I just got to let this go. I can't live like this anymore. It's not worth leaving here with your conscience all met. It's not worth it. I don't care what temporary pleasure the enemy's lying to you about. It's not worth it. In Acts 16, 7, I don't quite understand it, but Paul and Timothy were on a missionary journey. And it says that after they arrived at this hard city, Mazia, then they tried to go into another hard city, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not let them. Here's what I love about this. It's saying this. Even when they thought they were doing something right, even they thought they were doing the good thing, Jesus said, you know what? Don't go to that city. Sometimes you're like, well, I'm giving this person money, and you hear this warning, don't give them any more money. Well, I'm, I'm spending time with this person trying to help them. You don't need to spend time with them. They're pouring the wrong thing. They're pouring trash into your ears. Don't do it. And you try to justify it. It's a good thing. It's a Bible thing. But if your conscience is clear, then you very loudly hear that voice telling you, don't go there. I got something else better for you. And you turn away and you go the other direction and you discover that God was right like he is every single other time in our life. Even in the good areas, we should have our conscience loud enough that we can hear it. Um... True story about this family that I knew. Uh, the kids were my age. I was friends with them. We just graduated high school. And the mom and dad of my friends 
They didn't have that great of a marriage. But, you know, they were getting through. And one day they went to the mom's high school reunion. It was like 25-year high school or something like that. They get there, and the mom runs into her old high school boyfriend. I mean, they hit it off like it was just high school the other day. Talking, hanging out. The husband didn't mind. They were all, you know, talking and, and, and having fun. And after they left the high school reunion, they messaged each other on Facebook. They started liking each other's posts and loving it and putting things, oh, you look so good and that kind of stuff. Then they started sending private messages. After that, it got to long emails. Now, here's the interesting thing about the story. I know the lady, and she told me this. When she tells the story, she says, every single time I communicated with him, I heard the warning. Every time. She's, and she served in church. She was a leader in her church. She knew the voice of God. Every time we text, every time we, every time I knew God was saying, don't do it, don't do it. But my marriage stunk and I wanted to be happy. And so I kept stepping out. Now they didn't do anything sexually and I'll prove it to you in a second. But anyway, so she was, um, she's messaging. So finally one day she decided to go back home and visit family. And she went back home up north and she had lunch with her old boyfriend. And again, they laughed and had such a good time. Comes back down south. One day, three or four months later, her and her husband get in a huge fight. I mean, like, blowing grenades at each other, launching missiles kind of fight. Y'all ever been in one of those fights? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Woo, we're going to have one today now. Just because everybody in church knows that we were throwing bombs at each other. And so they had a big fight. So the lady, the, my friend's mom, she packs her bag, and she tells her husband, I'm leaving you. She gets in her car, and she drives all the way up north to her old boyfriend, Rings the doorbell and says, hey, baby, I'm here, me and you now. He said, what are you talking about? She said, yeah, now we get to be together. I left my husband for you. Now it's just me and you. He looked at her and he said, honey, I'm gay. <laughs> she said, you're what? He said, I've been gay since I got out of high school. <laughs> She's like, are you kidding me? Nope. So she gets back in her car and drives all the way back down south knocks on her own home door and says, hey, baby, forgive me. And they have to go to counseling for two years to make it right. Now they have a much more successful marriage than they used to have because God is a God of restoration. But here's the point. God didn't want her going through all that in the first place. Now listen, one of the ways, if you can't hear from your conscience, here's what I always think is, if I asked a thousand people if this were okay, what would a thousand of them say? If you got to do that, just do it. Because if you're talking to somebody that you're not married to of the opposite sex, more than you talk to your spouse, something's wrong. If you're out having dinner with somebody of the opposite sex and your spouse is not there, ring the bell, hello. You know that old, old movie, um, Back to the Future, hello McFly, McFly, <laughs> wake up. Something's wrong. Ignoring our conscience is like rejecting a phone call from God. God gave me this analogy this week when I was studying. I thought, what a great analogy. It's because when we see the phone, we see the name on there. We're like, oh, it's God, the creator of the universe, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh. He's calling me. Oh, oh, I can't wait to... Uh, oh, is he going to want to talk to me about the way I've been spending money? Is he going to want to deal with me on the things I've been watching? Is he going to want to talk to me about that person I've been hanging out with? Oh, I don't think I'll take the call. Now, it was so funny. When God gave me that analogy this week, as clear as anything, I heard God say this. He said, yeah, John Paul, after you reject the call, you do what you want to do, and then you know what you do? You go back 
God, please, I got myself in trouble. I don't know what I've done. I can't, why weren't you talking to me, God? Why didn't you tell me I should have done that? I can't believe I did that. What's wrong? Help me. And God, in his great mercy, says, okay, I'll help you get through it. But here's the point. If you had just answered the call the first time, said, God, what is it? He's not going to bark at you. He's not going to scream at you. He's a loving God that's trying to prevent a bunch of trouble in your life. You know, when you meet people, you need to have a very clear conscience when you start meeting new people or getting new relationships with people. Because when someone meets you, they only show you the side of themselves they want you to see. If you're a business person, if you're looking to date and get married or whatever it is, you've got to understand, we know somebody that can see all the sides of someone. You know who that is? It's the Holy Spirit. And He will guide you and direct you. And you think, oh, she's so good looking and she, has, and she says she loves Jesus. Hey, that's one side of her. Okay, that's one. You say, well, the back side looks good too. I'm just kidding. No, you got to see one side. Just kidding. Just kidding. Eh, take that out. My conscience told me not to say it. I just disobeyed my conscience. Listen. So you see. <laughs> Listen to me. Listen. Pay attention. I'm going to go to a scripture, okay? Matthew 7, 15. Be aware of wolves who come in sheep's clothing. Now listen, when you meet somebody, if your conscience is not clear, you being a sheep could get in a relationship with somebody that's a wolf. Now this is the most important scripture, and the way I'm going to describe it is equally important of the entire sermon. Okay, so listen close. This scripture says, there are people that you will meet that are wolves, but don't look like wolves. They're wolves, but don't smell like wolves. They're wolves who actually look like sheep. You see that up here? It doesn't say, be aware of wolves that show their fangs and attack you. No, we're, we're all too smart for that. It says, be aware of wolves who show up in your life, but they are actually dressed up like a sheep. So when you see them, you don't know which one they are. So how do we know if somebody is an actual sheep or if they're a wolf dressed up like a sheep? How do we know? There's two ways. Number one, you follow the leadings of the Holy Spirit. You don't follow your emotions. Oh, he looks so good and he carries his Bible with him and he says he goes to church. You don't look at that. You listen to your conscience, number one. Here's the second one. Remember this. Wolves are always out for blood. They're always out for blood. The blood of Jesus connects you to the body of Christ. The blood of Jesus in your life connects you to your divine God-given destiny. So here's this. If you're here today and you used to serve Jesus more than you do now, here's what you need to ask yourself. Are you in a relationship with a wolf? A wolf will never say, let's go to church together. A wolf will never say, let's go to Bible study. A wolf will never say you need to sing in the choir. A wolf will never say what's God showing you. A wolf will never say let's pray together. A wolf says this, you go to church without me, we'll catch up later. A wolf says this, come on, can't you just skip church today? It's my birthday, we need to hang out. A wolf will say this, why do you sing in that choir? Nobody can hear you. A wolf will say this, why are you part of that team? Nobody thanks you. A wolf will say this, why do you keep going to Bible study? Do you even understand everything? A wolf will always pull you away from the blood of Jesus. So here, if you are closer to God at any time in your life than you are today, are you in relationship with a wolf? Now by this scripture, don't be offended, but by this scripture, it could imply there's wolves in this room. So listen close. If you try to take one of my sheep out of this church, 
I will get the shepherd's stick and beat the crap out of you. Amen. These are, and if I can't do it, I'll get Howie to do it. I'll get Brian Clark. They'll be, they don't even need a stick. Don't you dare try to touch one of these sheep. These are God's sheep entrusted to solid rock, and we're here to lead them and guide them in the right path. Don't you ever miss church or miss out on your destiny because a wolf that's trying to look like a sheep pulling you away. Ezekiel 33.3 says, when he sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm. If someone hears it but ignores it, the enemy kills him. If he had just paid attention to the warning, he could have escaped. It doesn't say if he had just heard the warning, he heard the warning. Did he pay attention or not? Listen, parents, do not reject an uneasiness in your conscience about somebody around your children. Even if it's a relative, you idiots. I don't care if you're going to Thanksgiving or Christmas and you've known them all your life. If you don't feel good about somebody around your kids, get them away from your kids. How many people's children have been hurt because they try to justify, I've known them all my life. They're so good to me. They give me money. They help me out when I need it. You foolish parents. Don't, don't, don't. If you feel an uneasiness about somebody around your spouse, you get with your spouse and set boundaries. Don't say they're going to think I'm controlling and they're going to think. You set biblical boundaries. Don't let a wolf come into any part of your life that God doesn't want. Don't let a wolf come into your children, your marriage. Don't let it happen. There's so many people that are hurting so bad today because the wolf killed them. They heard the alarms loud and clear. Ding, 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 ding. But they didn't follow it. I know, I, 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 I remember two of my greatest passions and two of the things that God created me to do in ministry. One is, is to speak and teach. That's one thing God created me to do. Another one is he created me to train pastors and leaders and stuff like that. And I love it. I'm an average pastor, but I'm a really good speaker because of God ordaining me in that area. And I believe the first 25 years of my life, of 25 years of my ministry will be learning how to preach. The other 25 will be learning how to train pastors. Okay, so that's the foundation for this story. When I first started pastoring, I was so excited about my calling and my gifts. And there was a guy that came to church one Sunday and he sat on the front row and we were a small, little, itty-bitty church. And, uh, man, he was shouting amen during the sermon. He had a thick Bible. He wore a nice suit. And as soon as the sermon was over, he runs down front. He says, oh, you're the greatest preacher in the world. And I want to be just like you. I want to learn how to preach. And can you help me? Can you train me? And I was like, oh, my God, we're going to be best friends. I love you so much. And so he was like, I, I know how to sing and play and lead worship. I'll do whatever you need in church. I'm here for you. I was so excited about him. I had two of my leaders rush the stage after he walked away and said, John Paul, we just don't feel good about it. We're not judging. We're not, we just need you to watch out. I said, no, y'all are jealous. He thinks I'm great. He wants me to teach him and train him. It's going to be me and him, and we're going to do ministry. And so the next Sunday, he comes back, and he's on the front row, and he's got his thick Bible. He's amening me. And time the sermon was over, he runs up to the front. Oh, John Paul, you were so good. That was such a great, the greatest sermon I've heard in my whole life. I can't believe how good it was. Oh, come on. I want to help you and do stuff in church. I was, and again, my leader said, watch out. I was so caught up in the emotions of what I wanted, and I wanted to fulfill my destiny and do something good for God and pour into this guy. So I, I didn't have any money. We had just started pastoring, no money. But I thought, I'm going to spend some money on this guy. So I said, meet me at Ruby Tuesday tomorrow, and I'm taking you to lunch. And so we went to Ruby Tuesday, and I was there waiting on him and waiting on him. And finally, he walked up to the restaurant, and I can't make this stuff up. Okay, God is my witness. Y'all know what skinny jeans are, right? 
This is before skinny jeans were a thing. He's got the skinniest, tightest jeans I've seen in my life. And he's wearing more makeup than my wife has ever worn in her whole life. I thought, this is weird. This isn't how he looks Sunday morning. And so he comes in and sits down. And we had the most awkward 15-minute lunch until I had like I got a call and I had to go. It was the most awkward thing I've ever experienced. The next Sunday, he walked in church. The next Sunday, we never saw him again until two and a half years later. There's a knock on my front door. And there's this guy selling vacuums at my front door. And I open the door. I say, it's you. He said, do I know you? I said, it's me. The pastor, remember, it did Ruby Tuesday. You can make up. was all on your face and everything, skinny jeans. He grabbed his vacuum and turned around and ran back to his car. And I never saw him ever again. Never saw him. I told Jordan, if I ever see him wearing makeup, he's out of here. That's it. We'll put him on the hospitality team is what we'll do. <laughs> we'll put him in charge of the women's breakfast. Anyway, so you got to listen to the. Sometimes it takes people coming into your life saying, watch out. What are you doing? Why are you involved in this? Heed those warnings. Um, I'll tell you another story I thought you'd like. True story. Almost done. But um, uh, it was last year, the year before, these two girls in Southern California they drove down to Tijuana, Mexico to go Christmas shopping. And when they got back to their car, they saw what seemed to be a little teeny baby newborn chihuahua sitting in the gutter. It was squirming like it was barely alive. And so they picked up the chihuahua and they put it in the back of their trunk because they didn't want the border patrol to see it when they went through the states. So they finally get back home to Southern California. They take the little thing out of the trunk and the one girl takes it in her house and begins to nurse it with milk. And um, it begins to try to feed it. It wouldn't eat, wouldn't drink anything. It was just squirming, barely staying alive. She thought, that's so weird. So she wrapped it up and she slept with it all night long just to watch it and try to take care of it. The next morning, it was doing worse than ever. So she rushes down to the emergency veterinary clinic and she tells the doctor, listen, I just bought this little chihuahua. He's a newborn and I think he's sick. What can I do to help? And the doctor says, where did you get this animal from? He said, I got it at a pet store. He said, where did she, she was so scared she was going to get in trouble with the border patrol. So she finally is honest, says, Doctor, I'm sorry. I was in Tijuana, Mexico, and it was by the gutter and scrimming. I had to bring home. It's the cutest little chihuahua I've ever seen. The doctor says, so, young lady, it's not a chihuahua. It's a Mexican river rat. <laughs> oh, is right. Here's my point. Listen to your conscience or else you end up sleeping with rats. Now, listen, some of y'all been sleeping with rats. You need to stop sleeping with those rats and get back to your divine destiny. You need to stop spending time with those wolves and get back to being the sheep God's called you to be. I am sounding the alarm today. Hear the bell loud and clear. You know exactly what it is God's wanting you to do. The question is, are you going to do it or not? Last story in the Bible, Genesis chapter 27. It's a story of three men. The first one is the father named Isaac. He is old and blind and he's near death. The second is the firstborn son Esau. Very hairy, a good um, expert. Um, um, uh, he could kill things really, a good sportsman. And then you got the third one, Jacob. He's the second born and he's the deceiver. He's a dishonest kind of kid. It came time for Isaac's um, passing. He's going about to die and go to heaven. And now it's time for him to give the firstborn blessing. The firstborn blessing was like the 401k, the inheritance. It was like everything and it went to the firstborn son. 
and Esau was supposed to get it. But Jacob wanted it. So Esau is told by Isaac, he says, go kill me some game, bring me some food, and I'll give you, Esau, I'll give you the firstborn blessing. So he goes out and kills some food. While he's out there hunting, Jacob already had some food ready. He puts on Esau's clothes so that he smells like Esau. He puts animal skin and fur on his arms because Esau was very hairy, the Bible says. So now he felt like Esau. He uh, walked into his father's room, Isaac, and he said, Hey, Dad, it's me, Esau. Give me the firstborn blessing. And Isaac's blind. He's about to die. But I want you to read how many alarms go off in his conscience during this story. Verse 18 of Genesis 27, he says, Who are you? It's me, Esau, your firstborn son. Verse 20, how did you find the game so quickly? God just blessed me. You know how God does. He just gave me his favor. Verse 21, come close so I can feel you. See, Dad, feel me. Hairy arms, hairy Esau. Verse 22, the voice is Jacob's Oh, God, I got laryngitis today, Dad. Everything's fine. It's me. Who else would it be in here asking for the firstborn blessing? Verse 24, are you really my son? Of course I am, Dad. Why else would I be here? Verse 27, Isaac smelled him. See, Dad, smell me. It's me. Why, why would you not think that? So Isaac gives Jacob the blessing that belonged to Esau. Jacob runs out of the room. A few minutes later, the real Esau, the real sheep, the real person God has for you, the real friend shows up. And when they realize what just happened, and how much trouble they got in. Verse 33 says that Isaac trembled and shook violently and Esau wept uncontrollably. This scripture right here, this is the result. Everyone in this room, if you continue to go against your conscience. I mean, if you continue to push that line, you're going across that fence, you're feeling the shock, but you don't stop. The warnings, there's an iceberg ahead. You know exactly what it is. Don't go one more day without letting God clean that conscience. Don't leave here with that burden on you. Don't go to sleep tonight without being able to pray bold, huge prayers, knowing that God of the universe is going to take you. Don't leave this place guilty. Some of you are going to have to go back to that first property line. And it may be difficult. You have to go back to the first and say, listen, this is where it started. This is where I started lying. This is where I started. And listen, I don't care if you like me, love me or not. I'm going to deal with it because I can't go one more day. And you do like Abraham Lincoln. You make sure your conscience is clear. Better to have that than a million people on your side. I promise you, God's been speaking to you. The question is, are you going to heed the warning?